0: And if you would once again take out your copies of God's Word as we examine it together, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, that's page 1,122. 1,122. That's where you'll find Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading the first four verses from this wonderful chapter. Listen carefully, because this is God's word for you today. There is, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go once more to our God and ask his blessing on our message today. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful passage that you've given to us today. I pray that we would be able to mine it accurately, that we may see the wonderful good news that's here in this passage. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are probably not getting as much comfort from your Christian life as you should. I'm talking about more than physical comfort. as what I'm telling you today is that so many Christians are missing out on the spiritual, the emotional, and since they are all connected, indeed, the physical Comfort that comes from this passage that I've just read. Doubtless, you've heard this passage a number of times. You've probably read it a number of times. You, at least, if you're a regular attender here, have heard me read this to you many times after our confession of sin together. And it might be because we have read this so many times. Most of you probably memorized it, or at least can paraphrase it, that we have missed the deep truths that are here. Or even if you can grasp intellectually what these verses tell you, can you apply these to your life in a way that makes a difference for you? Does hearing these words give you a different way of approaching the office on Monday? Do these words make a difference in how you look at your grandchildren? Or how you evaluate the life that you've lived this year or the hope that you will have for the year to come. As you know, we've been going through our Christmas series and I've been been hanging our structure on the words of the angels to the shepherds. That for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior is the word that we're going to be examining today. I think the reason why most of us miss the comfort that's here in this passage is because we have either never realized it or have forgotten how much we need a savior. How much we need saving. We don't like to think that we need help. We'd like service. We don't like help. Help implies that we're weak. Help implies that we're incapable, incompetent. We as Americans don't like that. We like the spirit, the rugged individual who can mount his horse and ride off into the West and conquer all the lands that are before him. We like to think that of ourselves sometimes. But if that's the vision that we have for ourselves, a very short-sighted vision, as we'll see in a moment, we will miss the astonishing comfort that's available to us here in this passage. So I hope that you'll follow along with me here in these next few minutes as we examine this passage before us. I'm going to make, as part of our custom, our two points today, as you can see on the back of your prayer guide, our two points. The first one is those who are in Christ will never be condemned. Those who are in Christ will never be condemned. And then the second point is those who are in Christ will always be changed. Those who are in Christ will always be changed. So that's what I want us to take a look at today. So here, as we begin verse 8, we come across the, the probably the key word here is condemnation. What does it mean to be condemned? condemned. When we think about the word condemned, we can think about a house, a house or a building that's been condemned as something that has been judged as to not be livable, unsafe for habitation. But that's not what we're really talking about here. To be condemned means to be declared guilty, to be declared guilty. But what Paul is telling us is, There is no condemnation, there is no charge of guilt for those who are in Christ, which implies all those who are outside of Christ, all those who have not put their faith in Him, are under condemnation. In fact, Jesus Himself said that. John chapter 3, verse 18, just two verses after one of the most popular verses in the world, verse 18 says, whoever believes in Him, that's Christ, is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If that's you today, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, you're in tremendous danger. But you're set up very well to see the joy that's awaiting you here in this passage. But for those of us that have put our faith in Christ but maybe it's been a while. Maybe we've had a little bit of distance from our lives as they used to be. Or maybe we have spent more of our time looking at who we are now and less time thinking about what we still need to do or how we need to repent and to be reminded how grateful we are of this. I know a lot of times when we're driving in our cars and we come across when someone almost hits us, we become far more grateful about how Safe we are here in this car now. We're very grateful for the fact we don't have a repair bill, or worse, a hospital bill. And more of life is changed by how close we were to having that accident. So if I could take for a moment to remind us of what our fate would have been without Christ. Maybe lean you over the cliff just a little bit. We'll still hang on to the harness, but lean you over the edge just a moment as we think about what our collective fates would have been without Christ. Because you see, this condemnation, this being charged guilty, is not an unfair charge. When Christ condemns us as guilty, it is not because God is being malicious. It's not because God is corrupt and he's trying to find some way to get back at you. When he judges us as being guilty, he's just giving justice. Because he's opened up the books on your life and has found you wanting. Me too. Because he has the transcripts of everything that you've said. Or maybe wanted to say, but kept it in your mind. He has those too. All the complaints that we've ever uttered. Every time we complain, we're telling God he's not doing his job correctly. Have you ever been told you're not doing your job well when you know you're doing your job well? That's pretty annoying, isn't it? But there might be some truth because we can know what we're doing but not do it well. God knows what he's doing and he always does it well. And for us little creatures to complain against what God is doing is terribly offensive. And he's kept every record of it. He knows, he sees it there. He's seen the entire movie that you've played in your head. All those things that you've thought, maybe haven't acted out, that everything you've seen on the internet, all the things that you've kept in your mind, he sees every one of those things. Every word, every act that we've done, he's kept the record of. But beyond just the bad things that we've done, he's also kept a record of all the good things that we should have done but didn't. He gave us his word, but we don't read it. Much less meditate on it. Much, much less memorize it, as we've been commanded to do. All those times that we have passed on prayer because we figured we were strong enough to do it ourselves, thank you very much. All those opportunities to help other people, the poor that we've ignored. It's not just the bad things that we've done, but the good things that we've left undone. And then to cap it all off, not even really feeling all that bad about it. Sure, every once in a while, it'll be a little tinge of conscience. Like, yeah, I could probably be doing a little bit better. Leading lives of crime, the bad that we've done and the good we've left undone, and think that we're all doing just fine. This is the fates that await us all. If we were outside of Christ, I know the reaction can be, it's like, well, maybe we can, maybe we can do better. You know, we see this in a popular Christmas movie or the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. He's been shown his terrible life of all the things that he did and left undone. But at the end of the book, he changes his ways and tries to lead a better life on. And the book exonerates the man because he's changed his life. But that's not how justice works. Just because you start doing good things afterward doesn't mean the the bad stuff didn't happen. All of those things still have to be kept for an account. And even if we could try to do more good than bad, the standard isn't good. The standard isn't close enough. The standard is perfection. That's actually what God wants. He's not interested in your own moral code. He's not interested in what you think is good. He's interested in what he thinks is perfect. Which means never sinning, never passing up on opportunity to do good in thought, word, or deed. And besides, even if we could manage to do all of these good things, the purpose of doing all of our, why we've been made to exist is to love God. Not because he needs it. That's what we've been called to do. We're just doing all these good things just so we won't go to hell. That's just more self-love. It's not love for God. None of those things God will accept. On your best day, all we have been is offensive to God. And the amazing thing is, is, that's all that we can really even know. Our hearts are way eviler than we think. In fact, the Bible says that the depths of human wickedness, who can even know it? Because we're blinded by our own sin as to how sinful we are. So if that's where we all begin, how on earth can then we get to the point here where it says in verse 1 that there is no condemnation for us? How is it that we can be changed to love God? And more importantly, how is it that it can be changed that God would love us? That's where the Savior comes in. That's what we need. And that's what we get here in to verse 8. But there is, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 8. That there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We're just going to take a look at the whole thing. And the reason how this is possible is because Jesus Christ has taken all the penalty for us. I remember someone on social media was trying to come up with some way in which we could relieve all the debt in the world. This man had said, well, what if we just took all the debt that was in the world, all the credit cards, all the mortgages, all the student loans, and just put it in the name of one guy and then just kill that guy? I would get rid of all the debt, and someone came in. It was a pastor came into the comments and said, "I have incredible news for you, because that's what's happened." But he says here in verse three, "For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, or a sin offering." He condemned sin in the flesh. Our record of sin picked up and placed on Christ. And the penalty that that sin deserved, which was death, he took and took it away. So now for us, there's no charge. A following illustration, I have from a ode oh, to a pastor friend. His name is Tom Franklin. He's a pastor over in Homewood. He explain this passage this way. He likes to take his family to Disney on vacation. And one of the things that they do, both in an effort to hide the cost and to make things easier, they give you these little bands with a little uh, computer inside of them. And that's the thing that you do to purchase all the things that you need while you're there at the park. Well, need while you're at the park. So when you come in, beep, there's the first thing. There's your entrance. You go on in. Trip for coffee, beep. Lunch, beep gift shop, beep, those ridiculous little mouse ears, beep, all of those things are put on your charge as you go throughout the park. You're not conscious of the money you're spending, but every single thing is being tracked. And he says, imagine that you have been given one of those little things. You've been beeping all over the place as you've been going through the park. And then the moment comes where it's time to leave and to collect the charges at the end. And you, with some trepidation, come down from your hotel room to the happy man behind the desk and ask for your bill. He dutifully goes over to the printer and prints it out. There it is, the page with your name on it, but it's a single sheet and it's blank. And you look at the man and you say, there must be some sort of mistake. Or maybe the printer ran out of ink. I know that I have all of these things that I have purchased throughout the park. And the man just smiles at you and says... No, sir, there's been no mistake. Ma'am, the printer's working just fine. We don't have any record of any of your charges. And you're free to go. That's no condemnation. Because all of us have charges on our records, don't we? There's times we were impatient with the children. Beep. Spoke poorly to our spouse, have thoughts inside our own head, complaints in our own heart. All of those things, background, hardly even notice as we go through. But yet we get to verse one, and it says that there's no charge. It's as if the sins don't even exist. In fact, the scriptures say that the, your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. It's very purposeful, by the way, those directions, east, west, and of north, south. Go far enough north, you'll eventually be heading south, and you'll be meeting up again. You can go as far as east, west as you can possibly go. East, you're always going east. West, you're always going west. Those sins are gone. And he doesn't have any Record of them. They simply don't exist. God sets us free. So now, not only is he legally able that he is still just to not only let us into heaven, in fact, God would be unjust to not let us into heaven. Not because of what we've done, please hear that, but because of what Christ did. The reason why we have no charges is because Jesus paid for them all and then gave us his perfect spotless record where he did all the good things he was ever supposed to do and avoided all the bad things he was ever not supposed to do and gave you that record. So now God can look at you and see Jesus what it means to be in Christ Jesus, to have his record, as if you were the Son of God himself. So that, as to borrow once more from my pastor friend, not only does God love you, but he likes you too. God delights in you. Not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done. We don't appreciate that, or we think that's too good to be true. We think that God is like, well, the charges have been paid, so I have to do this. I'd rather you were not here, but in you go. That is not the attitude that God has towards you, if you're in Christ. That's why at the end he says, enter into the what of the Lord? Joy. God is looking forward to your entrance into heaven. Because he wants to be with you. Because you've been cleared. Your sins are gone. You've been made new. And he delights in you. Are you still racking up charges here and there? Yes. But those are covered too. That's what this is for no condemnation. How does this work as we look piece by piece here in verse 2? This is the law of the spirit of life. This Holy Spirit now is the one who is running you, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And it goes on here in verse 3 that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Here, what he is saying here is, and if we had time to go through, well, the whole book of Romans, what Paul is setting up here is that God has created a law. It's a good law. The Ten Commandments are not a bad idea. But the way that our sin has used those laws is we found out, oh, God's offended by covetousness? Great, that's what I'll do. Oh, God would rather me be truthful in all my dealings? Well, then I'll try to shade the truth as much as I can for whatever advantage I can do. The sin that's inside of us is using these laws in order to drive us further away from God. The law was never meant to save us. It was to hold up the mirror of what God's perfection looks like and to see how wanting we are. So in Galatians, it says that the law is like a schoolmaster, someone who is leading us to Jesus to show how much we need him. That's why it can say God did what the law, weakened by the flesh, can't do. And he sent his son. Notice that it says in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is not to say that Jesus was some sort of phantom walking around that he only looked like he was a human being, but he wasn't. No, what he's saying is this in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like the rest of us, but he didn't have any sin in him. Jesus wasn't sinful, but he took on as if he was the sinner, pinned all the debt to himself, and then it was condemned in his own body. Now, having just heard that, should this not make a difference in your life? To, for a final time, borrow from my wonderful friend Tom, if I were to truthfully tell you in a way that you would know that this was in fact accurate, if I told you that on the way to church today, I deposited $100 million into each one of your accounts. And you knew that that was true. Whatever your next thought is, it wouldn't be about anything else. You would not walk away from that piece of information and say, huh, am I going to have lunch at 11.30 or 1 today? I hope La Costa isn't crowded by the time I get there. No one thinks that, having just been told what the riches that you've been given. That's a life-changing amount of money. But it's only life-changing for as long as you have life. We'll get very excited over those many digits. But that's not going to last you. Now perhaps we might say, well, the reason why we can be so excited about $100 million versus no condemnation is because we can think through what $100 million will do. It's like, praise the Lord, I can finally get a jacuzzi in my prayer room. I can think of more practical applications so we have more of imagination for money. So let's spend some time together. Let's use some imagination. And let's see, what does no condemnation mean to you on a day-by-day basis? And we'll actually be able to see all of these points that I'm going to make. We can draw directly from the Scriptures about this. So what does no condemnation give to you? Well, the first is the fact, obviously, is our eternal destination is now secure. You never have to wonder what's going to happen in the afterlife. You never have to wonder whether or not you're going to make it to heaven or not. Because it's not up to you. That's why every other religion can look at you and say, well, we can't really grant you assurance. Because salvation is in some way up to you and every other religion. It was if you managed to hold on to the end or if you managed to do enough good deeds here in christianity it tells you it's secure there is no condemnation and there will never be condemnation for those who are in christ look what it says in the same chapter we're in romans chapter 8 but slip all the way down to verse 30 Paul says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified means transformed and placed into heaven. Notice he puts that in the past tense. It's a convention that they use in this time as a this is so sure we can describe as if it's already happened. If God has justified you, he will glorify you. He will bring you to heaven. Because it's not up to you. It's up to him. That's the first thing that no condemnation gives you. But what else does no condemnation give you? How about a few more? The next one that I think that no condemnation gives you is a brand new identity. A brand new identity. Have you ever seen newspapers cover the death of someone that the editors of that paper clearly don't like? The headline will read something like, Local man, widely suspected of being a racist, died this week. They'll do that for anybody, no matter how good they seem to be. Mother Teresa, known for her sanctimonious posing for pictures in front of the poor, died today. These newspapers will find something that they can pin on somebody and make it seem as bad as they want them to be. But with this, this is brand new. No matter what it is that has happened in your life, if you are in Christ, you have a new identity. There is no condemnation now. Are you a miserable excuse for a father when you were raising your children. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Are you someone who is impatient? Some of you who are unkind. Some of you who are obsessed with work, money, whatever it is. Fill in the blank with whatever your sin was or is. There's no condemnation because you're in Christ now. Doesn't excuse the sin. But the sin doesn't exist to God. Now it still exists to those who are around you. You'll be given the opportunity to repent, make amends, seek forgiveness. But you have your forgiveness from God. You have a new identity. According to God, your name no longer registers. just comes up as Jesus. It's a new identity. And this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Or here, Paul talks about this in verse 3. He's been receiving a lot of critiques on his ministry. And Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. It's a new identity. It's a new identity. Well, what else does no condemnation gives you? What else? Another thing, I think, is freedom from regret. Freedom from regret. For that, we'll turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse eight. And the power of his resurrection. And I may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this. Or am already perfect. Paul still sins. But I press on to make it my own. Because of Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. No condemnation means a brand new orientation for how you look at your life. Are you the kind of person that spends a lot of time thinking about the things that you've done wrong? Spend a lot of time in regret for the past? No condemnation means you don't have to do that anymore. That past has been dealt with. That past has been cast into the sea. And now we can be future-oriented to say, Christ has given me a new life. I can now go forward in obedience to him instead of constantly looking back at those times in which I was disobedient. This is the gift that no condemnation gives you. Christ loves you. What more validation do you need What else does no condemnation give you? We've said that it is secures a place in heaven for you, that it gives you a brand new identity, gives you freedom from regret, and finally it gives you that you no longer have to get your sense of worthiness depending on what you do or don't do. Have you ever walked away from your devotions having finally been able to get to your Bible reading and ten minutes of prayer and think, <laughs> God must be very satisfied with me today. I read a whole chapter. As if the death of his son wasn't enough. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that it's by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not of works. That's anybody should boast. This doesn't mean that we don't read our Bibles and we don't pray. But don't gain your sense of worthiness from those things, because that's very fleeting. Because tomorrow is right around the corner. God is just as delighted in you when you have forgotten your devotions as when you have. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on Christ. That's what no condemnation gives you one more. What does no condemnation give you? This gives you a never-ending well of contentment to draw from. A never-ending well of contentment to draw on. And for that, I draw from 1 Corinthians 15, 19, which Paul is speaking about the resurrection. He says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul is saying here is that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, and if the only hope we have in Christ is some sort of philosophical means of life to get us through the next morning, then we are the least hopeful people in the world. Because at some point, we are all going to die. But Paul says there is hope beyond that. And it's based on the fact that Christ has been raised, just on the fact that He has purchased salvation for you. Is there something that's frustrating you in your life? A house project you can't quite finish? A corporate ladder you can't quite climb? Something that's not going the way you want it to in life? You're not condemned. Is there a problem that you have in your life that the announcement that you've just become a 100 millionaire that would change how you look at that problem? If that could be changed by something like that, then imagine how much an eternity of security will give you. That's what no condemnation means. And no matter what's going on in your life, you are still not condemned. Condemned in the end. That's what no condemnation gives you. Are you resting in all those promises today? Do you think about this passage during those times in your life? Have you drawn the sort of comfort that you can from this? It's what it means to have a Savior. Those who are in Christ will never be condemned. We'll spend more time on this point next week. But those who are in Christ will always be changed. No condemnation when we've grasped this, when we realize we have offended God, but God is the one that provided the way of forgiveness. That He's the one who sent His Son. He's the one who paid the price. Not by writing out a check but by dying and spilling his own blood and then rising again. No condemnation is a beautiful, in fact, the only motivator that is sustainable for the good things that God has called us to do. It says in the scriptures that he makes us into a new creature. When Christ saves us, he doesn't leave us where he found us, but he changes us, transforms us day by day. Are we going to be perfect? No. Even the Apostle Paul, as we read just a few moments ago, that he's not already attained perfection, so neither will you. There's going to be a progress in living more and more in being conformed to his image. Again, we'll look more at that next week. But for now, you can take this final image. Imagine you have been in a terribly life-threatening situation. You're in a building that collapsed on top of you. You've been covered in rubble, dirt, dust. Pinned and unable to get out yourself. And someone comes in, gets the big rock off of your chest and sends you out. You have a new life now. You're not pinned under that. But while you've been removed from danger, you still bear a lot of the circumstances that you've just experienced. You're still covered in dust. And that's going to take a few showers to get all of that off of you. Then once all of that's gone, now we're going to have to recover from all the bruises, the scrapes, and the cuts, and the broken bones that have happened because of this building that's been falling on you. And even once there, there's recovery from there, there's gonna be the psychological recovery of having gone through something like that. This is the picture of salvation and sanctification. We've been removed from danger. You're not pinned under the building anymore. You're still dealing with those consequences. You're still living as if that was the case. Now we're living as Christ is teaching us to live in a new way, to be transformed. And Again, we'll see more of that next time. So for now. What do I want you to take away? This is the best gift that you will ever be given is the fact that you are not condemned by God anymore. His view of you is the only view that matters. And he says, I love you. I like you. And I look forward to seeing you in heaven one day. All of this is, of course, only, If you're in Christ, if you've put your faith in him, turned from your sins and to Christ, trusting him and the work that he's done, then these verses apply. If you haven't done that, this verse does not apply to you. And you are still condemned. But you don't have to be. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, or maybe you're not sure if you know Christ or not, please come and see me. Nothing would thrill me more than to help you come to Christ even today. I can live in the comfort that this passage offers to you for your soul. Nothing is more important than that. You say, pastor, I've been in this church for 20, 30 years. Be really embarrassed to just be now getting it. Holy Spirit works in a lot of different ways. If this happened to be your time, then so be it. But don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given to us this beautiful gift. I pray that you would help us put this into practice and that we would love you all the more for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.